Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Candid Catholic Convos. It's 4th of July weekend, and the air is heavy with the smell of barbecues, sunscreen, and fireworks, all celebrating freedom. But did you know that Religious Freedom Week was this week as well? Religious freedom allows the church and all religious communities to live out their faith in public and to serve the good of all. From June 22nd, the feasts of St. Thomas More and John Fisher, to June 29th, the USCCB invites Catholics to pray, reflect, and act to promote religious freedom. If you're a history buff like me, you'll recall that both Thomas More and John Fisher were executed by order of Henry VIII during the English Reformation for refusing to accept him as the supreme head of the Church of England and for upholding the Catholic Church's doctrine of papal supremacy. They stood for their beliefs, even though it ultimately cost them their lives. But nowadays, it's hard to know what anyone stands for because of fear. Superman stands for truth, justice, and the American way. What do we stand for? What do we, as Catholics, stand for? And are we willing to fight for it? Today, I'm chatting with Linda Carroll, an attorney and president of the St. Thomas More Society of Central Pennsylvania, about how ordinary Catholics can model St. Thomas More and fight for religious freedom in our daily 21st century lives. Linda, thank you so much for joining me on Candid Catholic Convos. I'm really excited to talk to you about this today. Um, the St. Thomas More Society is something that I just started learning about and the history and how far back it, where it, where it originated from. Um, I just think that's really cool. So would you mind telling me a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Rachel. I am an attorney and at the present time I am retired. I am also the president of the St. Thomas More Society of Central Pennsylvania, and I've been active in that group for about 20 years or so, and this is actually my second go-around as president, so I guess they must have liked something I did. I don't know, but um, I'm also a wife, a mother, and the grandmother of nine children, so I keep pretty busy. Busy indeed. That's that's very exciting. Um, you kind of have like all facets of life covered. That's really cool. So tell me a little bit more about the St. Thomas More Society. What is it and why is it important? Well, the St. Thomas More Society of Central Pennsylvania anyway was started back about 1990. And it was started by a woman named Genevieve Flatt. And she was the first female judge or first female office holder, statewide office holder in the Commonwealth. So she first had a position in the cabinet of the governor, and then she was appointed to the Commonwealth Court when it was a new court. And so the Honorable Genevieve Black, along with a priest named Kevin Rhodes, who some may 
you know, uh, remember that Kevin Rhodes became our bishop in the Diocese of Harrisburg, and he is currently serving as bishop out in um, Notre Dame territory. And every once in a while, we have the privilege of having him come and speak at one of our events here. And it got started back then in order to sponsor what they call the Red Mass. And I don't know if you've ever been to one, but it's traditionally held at the time when court is to open, which is the beginning of October. And when I say the court, I mean the Supreme Court, but all of the courts tend to open their, their session uh, for that year in October. So the Red Mass is intended to pray for, for justice at all levels of uh, legalities, like all kinds of you know, legislation, um, court decisions, prosecutions, enforcements, that everyone who works in the legal field would do their jobs in a just manner and that justice would be served. And so that was something that dated back to the 13th century, actually. The Red Mass goes all the way back to like 1245, 1243, and I believe it was started by Pope Innocent IV way back then. And the idea is to seek the Holy Spirit to provide the gifts that the Holy Spirit offers us in the court system and the legislative system. So that's the, that was the original intention of the St. Thomas More Society here in central Pennsylvania. Now there are other St. Thomas More Societies throughout the country and they have similar missions. The primary one is to put on the red mask. But since we have done that for so many years, we started to do the feast day mass of St. Thomas More and St. John Fisher on June 22nd. And in 2012, this became really important because it coincided with something new called the Fortnight for Freedom. And the Fortnight for Freedom is now uh, the Week of Freedom, but originally it ran from the feast day of St. Thomas More and St. John Fisher to July 4th, which I thought was very symbolic and um, I don't know why it's been cut back to a week, but um, in any case, it was for some time a fortnight and we kicked it off with our feast day mass. Um, we have a couple of other events that we do throughout the year to provide opportunities for fellowship among the membership. And that's, uh, you know, those things usually coincide with something in the liturgical calendar, such as Advent or Lent. Um, actually, something really interesting um, for the last, I would say, probably eight years now, the St. Thomas More Society, which is predominantly lawyers and judges, um, people in the legal profession, have been working with the Catholic Medical Guild, which are doctors and allied professions, to put on a retreat during Lent. And it's always like there's a little joking that goes on, banter back and forth, like whoever thought doctors and lawyers would, you know, get along so well. And, you know, so um, it, it's been a very a good relationship that we have forged here in central Pennsylvania between those two groups. That is really cool. Talk about like a great meeting of the minds with, you know, doctors and lawyers getting together. And I had no idea. I knew about the Red Mass. But I had no idea that the St. Thomas More Society was in charge of of, of all of that. Or, or I love that it it falls 
right when the courts are opening, like when, when, when everybody needs the most prayers, because Mm -hmm. they're making some really hard decisions. I want to back up a little bit um, to what you said about uh, religious freedom and religious freedom week. And I, I agree with you. I think that having it lead all the way up to the 4th of July was, was pretty symbolic, but now, now that it's down to a week, talk to me a little bit about religious freedom. What does it mean to defend religious freedom and why did the church decide to dedicate a week to it? Unfortunately, the reason for the fortnight to freedom was because our government started to pass rules and regulations that were contrary to the Catholic faith. In particular, the health and human services started to mandate that the, the healthcare professions um, insurance companies, employers provide, originally it was uh, contraception and sterilization through their insurance plans. And I, uh, maybe some of our listeners might be familiar with hearing about the Hobby Lobby case or the case involving the Little Sisters of the Poor. And those cases, that litigation went on for a very long time, all the way up to the Supreme Court. And fortunately, there was victory in the Supreme Court in those cases, but of course the rulings tend to be limited to the people that were involved in the cases in some respects. So even though it's a victory, it's not necessarily a complete and total victory. So for example, in the Hobby Lobby case, because Hobby Lobby was a closely held family company, they were not required to provide uh, um, contraception in the sense of uh, the birth control pill because the birth control pill was an abortifacient. And so they said that violated our Christian beliefs and because you could not really separate the company from the family that owned the company, the court said it would be a violation of their rights to require them to do this. But of course, that is not, that kind of ruling is not going to apply to a Fortune 500 publicly traded company. Right. So then there's the Little Sisters of the Poor case, a similar kind of thing, trying to require the sisters to provide insurance coverage to include certain things that Catholics um, object to or that were taught are violations of our faith. So that was the original impetus, was when the government started to pass these regulations. That began in 2012, and then over time, with different leadership in the White House, there was a reprieve from some of those things. Um, But now, HHS, in the last two years, has been issuing one mandate after another, covering so many things. You know, today, they are trying to mandate... Um, abortions and transgender surgeries and things like that um, as to the extent that they possibly can do it. Um, and I think that they are reaching, uh, I should say overreaching. There are some, some language in the Supreme Court decision, um, Bostock, which has to do with employment. And actually that was a Pennsylvania case that they, that the court specifically says in the decision, that it is a very narrow decision that is just for these particular, you know, people in this particular cir- type of circumstance, that it is not 
to be used to apply broadly to all kinds of cases, and yet that is what HHS is doing to justify these various mandates that they are putting out there. So it, it, the government is the one that made this important. That's very that's very fascinating. And I remember, especially the Hobby Lobby case of all the, for lack of a better term, drama that it caused among um, my peers and who agreed and who disagreed and, you know, talking about freedom and justice and what was right and what was wrong. And thankfully, the Catholic Church has has kind of very clear definitions that we've we've stuck to for 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 better or worse essentially. But I think the definition sometimes gets mixed up with the societal definition, or we lose sight of the Catholic definition because society one like is louder. Could you talk a little bit about how the church defines justice and freedom versus how we define it as society? Because it seems like they are very much at odds with each other. They are. They really are at odds with each other. And I think, you know, what you what you just said, um, I think a lot of the problem for the common person is a lack of a classical education. And so sometimes it's even difficult to understand what the Catholic faith is teaching because you don't have the background in your education to understand it. You don't, you never studied philosophy. You've never studied, it's almost as if everything was invented today and all thought was invented today. And um, one of the things that I've, I've done for the, for well, on and off for a long time, probably about 15 years altogether, was to teach sixth grade CCD, uh, which they now call prep. And one of the things I always told my students is, when we study mathematics, we don't all start from scratch, sitting there all by our little selves trying to figure out, you know, that, oh, if you take one and you take another one, you have two, you know, and try to bet. No, we use what people before us have figured out and we study it and then we try to advance it. And it's no different with thought. When you, when you are trying to, um, think about issues like freedom and social justice, you need to go back and study what was said about it. You don't just invent it in your own little head. And kind of what's happening today, I think, are people are inventing it in their own head. You ask the common person, well, what is freedom? It's like, oh, well, I can go to the movies when I want to. I can watch whatever I want to. I can wear whatever I want to. Nobody can tell me that I have to wear, you know, you know, a pants or a dress. Nobody can tell me that I I can't wear have tattoos everywhere and nose rings and you know because this is freedom. I, it's a free country. I can I can do all of those things. Um, you know, I can carry on in the street if I want to. I can carry on carry on on the lawn of the White House if I want to. Um, you know, all of these things. This is what they think is freedom. But the Catholic meaning of freedom is the right to be able to do those things that are necessary for you to fulfill your obligations to God, to your family, to your community. And what are those obligations? 
they are things like to be able to to work and earn money so you can feed your family, to be able to worship your God, and and to do the things that your religion commands of you for your Creator. You know, it's a very very different. I mean, the the idea of freedom in that respect of the freedom to you know we say well the freedom to to work to make a living for your family. If you go back in history, there was a time, you know, when there was a caste system in some countries, there was a class system in other countries, you did not have the freedom to go from one type of livelihood to another. If your livelihood failed, you, you, you failed. You were dead. I mean, if you think about all the Irish peasants who were basically tenant farmers, you know, they did not, their crop failed. They couldn't pay their, their rent. They were pushed off the land and basically starved to death. I mean, that was that society. So when we say freedom in the Catholic understanding, those people would have had the freedom to do something else with their lives. They did not have that then. They did not have that under those circumstances. So not knowing history, not being able to put the kind of definition that the Catholic Church puts on these words is a lot of the reason why there's such a misunderstanding between the use of those words, between the faithful and society today. Um, and as far as social justice is concerned, um, it's more to be able to fulfill the teachings of Christ, to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, educate the ignorant. That is, that is social justice in the Catholic understanding. Um, very different from the social, social justice that, that they're talking about today in the culture. Yes. Like we hear a lot about like cancel culture and anybody who doesn't agree with us, like they're considered an outsider. And it's, it's fascinating to hear that, that the Catholic definition is, is much more broad. It's much more like, no, this is how to be a decent human being. Um, not necessarily to be like, well, this is America and because it's America. I saw that and I want it and it's mine, which I think is disheartening to see so many people with that misunderstanding nowadays. And um, and I talk about this all the time, but my husband's in the army. So his job is to preserve these freedoms that we have as a society. But when I when I think of preserving liberties and freedoms, you know, like I personally think of like Thomas Jefferson and James Madison or St. Thomas More and St. Anselm. Definitely not me because I don't have the means or the position or the opportunities that, that they did, or like my husband has, who was in the army. So how do us ordinary Catholics, how can we work towards preserving religious freedoms so that we can educate future generations? Oh, okay. Well, one of the things, the first thing, of course, is to pray, go to mass sacraments, um, adoration, all of those things so that you are prepared, um, that you get the gifts of the Holy Spirit and you are strengthened to be able to be a witness. And that is what we are called to be, right? Witnesses. 
And then how do you witness? Um, it could be as simple as, as I know a lot of us were, well, people in my age group anyway, we were taught when you pass a church, Catholic church, because the body and blood of Christ is there in the tabernacle, you make the sign of the cross. Every time you go past, if you're walking, if you're in a car, you make the sign of the cross. I know my granddaughter was taught in school when she hears an ambulance or a siren, make the sign of the cross. It's a short, little, simple, on-the-spot prayer that you can do anytime. If you're in a group of people and you hear a siren, are you going to make the sign of the cross? If you want to stand up for religious freedom, do it so that you are visible so that they know that you are there. Somebody might ask a question, why are you doing that? And that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity to explain what being a Catholic is in just a couple of words. You know, well, it was a prayer because someone's in trouble. And so I'm praying for everyone, you know, that is in trouble and those that are assisting them that it turns out okay. You know, very, so that they know who Catholics are because today they don't. Even Catholics don't know who Catholics are. And it's, it's very frightening, especially the Catholic politicians. They don't know who they are anymore. Great, a great lack of catechesis. So that those kinds of things, of course, anything that you would do, you would need some knowledge. As I, so you need to spiritually um, prepare yourself, but you also have to prepare yourself um, intellectually, which would mean you need to uh, know what is going on. So to know what's going on, that's what these things are going on around us all the time, every day. And you might not know about it. And how do you know about it? You have to listen to uh, or read the news sources, the news media that is going to tell you about it. And that is not going to be the mainstream media. They're, they're not going to tell you. Um, you have major initiatives coming out of HHS, and there's not a word about it. Um, now, I don't expect that uh, everyone is going to be you know, scanning the Federal Register every day to see what's coming down the pike. But if you listen to stations like EWTN, if you watch EWTN on television, or you read the uh, Catholic Register, the National Catholic Register, or you um, relevant radio out of Philadelphia, you know, there's a, a variety of Catholic news organizations out there that will Speak about the things that are going on so that you can be aware. There are also, I get a ton of emails from Catholic organizations that will say, hey, this is happening, sign this petition. You know, this is happening, sign this petition. And to, you know, I wish I knew how you, how I actually got on those emails because I really don't know. And I get so many of them. But you know, the, the, the point is that if you get out there and start getting love, they, they will probably find you. And then, you know, you can, you can, uh, get educated that way that something is happening. A great source for knowing what's going on on the federal level is United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. You get on their website, website, uh, the USCCB website, you just put USCCB in the Google or you know, whatever your browser is, and the site will come up and they have, you know, a button there to inform you about things that are going on and 
what you can do. And there would be, you know, they would explain it. They have, you know, a lot of information there. And I think that's a great resource that people aren't using. Um, some people don't even know that it's there. You know, so that's another thing I was teaching my sixth graders. It's like, this is there. You know, if you ever need, you know, to find something, go there. You can find things. Um, so I would recommend that people check out that website because they'll, especially on the federal level, they will have a lot of information. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Perhaps you know, if we have something on the diocesan um, website that would be similar, that would show people what initiatives are out there. I know every once in a while, the diocese does send something out in email that says, hey, contact your legislators because here's this assisted suicide bill that's making its way through. You know, tell them you don't want to um, have this approved. Most of the time when you get something like that, it will give you an opportunity right then and there to contact your legislature just by clicking a couple of buttons. And, you know, it will tell you who your, who your representatives are, you know, by putting in your zip code or something. And then it's, it's, it's all kind of automated. So it's so much easier than in the old days when you had to write a letter. And actually, it's more effective because the letters today are all being held back for, um, they're scanning them for things like, um, anthrax and, you know, other, biochemicals. So any letter you send is going to be delayed, whereas the email is going to go right through. And so and you ha usually have an opportunity when you get those things to write your own message, which I usually do when I get them, because the more um, differences in language they have and the more points of view that are actually uh, highlighted, um, the more serious they would take it. If they get a whole bunch of rubber stamps, then they say, uh, yeah, well, that's one thought. But if they get a whole bunch of, you know, people took the time to write a few words themselves, then they take it more seriously. And they really count you as a voice out there that's adamant about what you're talking about. I love that. And I I wish I could remember some of the sites, but I've, I've seen some of those sites where it's like you type in your zip code and it tells you every single representative and it even gives you their phone number there are a lot of sites now that will have like a pre-made script so that you can mm -hmm. call and leave a message for their staff and say like, Hey, I'm a constituent. This is what I'm concerned about. You don't need to call me back, but I just want my voice. I want you to know that mm -hmm. I'm, that I, this is something that concerns me. We've unfortunately run out of time, but if you'd like to hear the rest of this episode, you can listen to us anytime on Spotify under Candid Catholic Convos. Or you can download this episode from our website at hbgdiocese.org. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash DAC and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.